Well, happy Mother's Day. As we mentioned earlier, this is Mother's Day, and it's a day we don't want to forget. It's a holiday that evokes a lot of emotions, doesn't it? I was thinking about all the different holidays we have, and it's my personal opinion that Mother's Day probably attaches more emotion with it than any other holiday. I mean, think about that. Valentine's Day, yeah, that kind of gets the motor running a little bit, and we got a lot of other holidays, but there's something about Mother's Day. There's something about the impact our mothers have had on our lives that stirs us. I mean, it's a powerful range of emotion, I should even say. So let's start with identifying some of those. How about we start with a positive? That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? What are some of the positive emotions as you think of Mother's Day? What are they? Mother's Day, what, what do you sense or feel about this day on the positive side? In terms of mothers and how they've impacted us, what do you think about with Mother's Day? Thanks for the way they've loved us. Good food. That's right. They fed us. Gerber started with a little Gerber baby food or whatever, but our mothers have fed us. What, are they, what else do you think about when you think of Mother's Day? Love. They've loved us. Sacrificial love. Hey, is that what you said? Unconditional love. Sacrificial too. But uh, they've loved us unconditionally. Medicine. They keep us well. Mama knows you need to take that cough syrup even though it tastes terrible. These are some of the things we think about. We think about our mothers and the influence they've had on us and the impact. And we have a lot of feelings about Mother's Day. Now, what are about some of the more challenging things, maybe some of the negative things? And I'm not going to ask you to give them to me. Let me just mention, you know, Mother's Day for some of us can be a hard day. Maybe some of you have lost your mother. And so there's some sadness that goes along with Mother's Day. Or maybe some of you didn't have the best mom. And there's some pain as you think about your mother. There's some issues there as you think about things that happened in your home that that are painful. You know, for some day, Mother's Day can be very difficult. Young families are trying to have a child and there's infertility. So for them, Mother's Day can be a a hard day. I know for Susan and me, our first daughter, Elizabeth, only lived six months. And I remember that first uh, Mother's Day that uh, Susan um, had a hard time even going to church on that day because of how hard it was. So why is it that there's such a range of emotions, but yet they're powerful emotions as we think about this day? I want to submit to you It's because of the influence that mothers have on us. And their role is an incredibly powerful and um, influential role in our upbringing and our nurturing and us establishing who we are. And so today, we want to identify that. We're going to look at some biblical examples of motherhood, but we also want to pause and, and honor our mothers and honor the role of motherhood. You know, it's really interesting as we think about this day and we think about this series we're in because we're going through a series in our teaching on the life of Christ sitting at the feet of Jesus. And actually, my assigned topic today in this series is the process of discipleship. 
And I'm thinking, how do I do that on Mother's Day? Process of discipleship. But the more I thought about it, it really fits. Because what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, mathetes, it's an apprentice. And a disciple, biblically, is someone who's involved in a lifelong process of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so the moment we place our faith in Christ and receive eternal life, we become a Christian, a a little Christ, a Christ-like follower, and we become His disciples. And so we are to intentionally pursue Him throughout the rest of our lives, becoming conformed to His image, and we're also to be disciple-makers. We're to be involved in the process of discipleship, which is about spiritual multiplication, where we're learning and we're growing, we're studying the Word of God, and we're spending time in prayer, and our relationship with God is becoming more intimate, and we're taking what we have experienced, and we're passing that on to the next generation, someone maybe who's a new believer, somebody who um, is younger in the faith than us. So that's the process of discipleship, of passing on to the next generation the truths of God. Does that have anything to do with motherhood? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because moms and dads, I'm going to speak to both parents here, although we're primarily talking about motherhood, but moms and dads, we have such an incredible responsibility to transfer the faith we have on down to the next generation. Now, Grace Bible Church, we want to have great ministries. Our children's ministry, and we have a wonderful staff. We want to have the best children's Sunday school and Awana and all the things that we have for our kids. We want to provide excellence here to train our kids up. We want our youth ministry to be awesome. And we have, we're very thankful for Kevin Barra and Chris Pletcher at Southwood and the role they play in equipping our children. We want to have strong men's ministries and women's ministries and uh, Sunday schools and all these home churches. And we want to equip you at our church. But I want to submit to you that we can have all these wonderful programs. But if we're not careful as a church and as a family, we can develop this drop-off mentality where we just drop our kids off and it's up to the Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher to teach our kids about Christ instead of me as a parent having the primary responsibility of passing my faith on down to the next generation. Or we can say, hey, I'm just going to drop my kid off at the youth group. You fix him. I've done all I can. And again, we want to have a great youth group. But parents, I'm exhorting you and I'm exhorting me to fulfill the responsibility that God has called us to and that he has given us these kids and they are our disciples. In fact, they're our primary disciples. And we need to be pouring ourselves into them and teaching them about the things of God and modeling, just as we talked about in the baby dedication up here, modeling a life of walking with Jesus that is attractive to them as a fragrant aroma so that they will want to follow in Christ's example based on the life that they're seeing us live in the home. I'd like to dedicate this message to my mom, Janet Evans, Because she was the one who had the primary influence in my life as I was growing up. And moms, don't underestimate those times you have with your kids. You know, we're busy, we got a lot of things pulling at us, and we got jobs, and we got, you know, shopping, and there's all these things pulling at us. But moms and dads, we only have these kids for a little window of time. 
And it's like, I just blinked, and I got a ninth grader here, and I got a third grader. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're growing up so fast. And before you know it, they're going to be gone. And we want to catch them while the cement is still wet, while they're still teachable, while they're still, still moldable and pliable. And that's what my mom did. My mom read the Bible to me and prayed with me every night. I'm sure she missed some nights, but I, my recollection is that almost every night growing up, my mom would take some time and read the Bible and pray with me. And when I was nine years old, that foundation she had laid, I trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I thank God for my mom and the investment she made in my life. That's discipleship. Jesus Christ, before he ascended, said to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even into the end of the age." As we think about this passage, in the, it's called the Great Commandment. We are commanded as followers of Christ to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm so thankful that our church is doing that. And we have such strong convictions on missions and, and sending missionaries. And many college students this summer will be going on summer mission. And I'm so thankful for that. But I also submit to you this Great Commission is a part of being parents. Then when God blesses us with a little boy or a little girl or children or however big it is, our family is, that we need to see our responsibility to go and make disciples with them and be intentional with that process. Now I look out here and I see a lot of younger people, see a lot of college students, a lot of you don't have kids, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about this topic. Because someday most of you will. And so file this away. As you think about this concept of discipleship, I know college students, your tendency is to think of I'm going to Africa or I'm going to East Asia or wherever I'm going. But God's going to give you, Lord willing, someday a spouse and Lord willing children. And he's going to give you an opportunity to make choices for what that family dynamic is going to be like. And don't underestimate your role, the opportunity you have to pass on your faith to the next generation. The home should be the primary place where faith transfer takes place. Again, we want to do the best we can here in the walls of this facility. But you are the church, the people of God, and the church exists in your home. Go and make disciples of your children. George Barna, in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, says this, What you do with children, yours and others, is the most important ministry thrust you will undertake. Why? Because the moral, spiritual, and relational foundation of people's lives are determined primarily by the age of 13. After that point, it is very difficult and rare to change these moorings. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's saying we've got a window of opportunity, parents, and we need to pour into our kids, and we need to be 
intentional. And for those of you who don't have kids someday, you may. You probably will. Or maybe you've launched your kids. Your kids are already out of the house. And you're going to have an opportunity to mentor and disciple other parents to disciple their kids. And to pray for them. And that's how the body of Christ is to work. We're all to work together to raise up the next generation of leaders. That's our church vision statement. Raising up next generation leaders to reach our world for Jesus Christ. Does that include our kids too? Yes. This includes our children as well. Our daily bread, it's a little devotional. I found a little uh, ditty here. What we leave in our children is more important than what we leave to them. In other words, you got a chair that's an heirloom and you're really looking forward to passing that on down in your will. That's a wonderful thing. Great. Give your kid a chair. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> but what's more important is investing in them and teaching them the things of God and seeing them grow up to be a godly man or woman displaying the characteristics and the character qualities of Jesus Christ. It's more important what we leave in our children than what we leave to them. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, and he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And listen to how he speaks man to man to his disciples who he had raised up, and he's talking to the church leadership here. Listen to how he speaks to them as uh, an apostle and exhorting them in this process of discipleship. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, life on life, because you had become very dear to you. So there's an aspect of discipleship where even as men, we need to take on the characteristic of a nurturing and caring mother as we relationally impart the things of God to the people He has entrusted to our care. And it's not just that aspect. He also bounces out in verse 11 with the Father image. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. All I'm saying is that discipleship derives its imagery from parenting multiplication, and that we have an opportunity to raise up the next generation of leaders, certainly in our discipleship groups and do loss and growth groups and men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and home churches and adult Bible fellowships and all those other things. But let's be honest, the primary place faith transfer takes place is in our homes. It's in our homes. I'd like to look at some biblical examples of godly moms. I'd like to begin with the mother of Moses. Trivia question. Can any of you give me the name of the mother of Moses? She's one of these unsung heroes of the Old Testament. Anybody know the mother of Moses? Jochebed. I'd like you to look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2. And we're going to look at the mother of Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, we read, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. So they come from the priestly line, and um, a man married this 
woman, and we don't even find out until chapter 6 that her name is Jochebed. The name Jochebed means Yahweh is glory. So her very name demonstrates that Jaka or Yaha in the Hebrew, referring to Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, bed or bode, is, is, means heavy or glory. Her very name, God is glory, indicates something about the character of Moses' mother. And we set the stage here in, in chapter 2 of Exodus. We realize that this is the time in the nation of Israel that they are in bondage in the land of Egypt. The nation was growing. Joseph had, and, and his brothers had come into the nation. And they were, multi, you talk about multiplication, they were multiplying. They were having children, lots of children. So many children that Pharaoh was getting nervous. He's going, oh my gosh, what if they overpower us? What if these slaves become so many we can't control them? So he issued a very wicked edict. And that edict was that the midwives, the Egyptian midwives who helped the Hebrew women give birth, they were to kill the baby boys. Well, God sovereignly intervened and he wouldn't allow, they they didn't do it. These uh, Egyptian midwives didn't kill the baby boys. So Pharaoh upped the ante. He said, now what I want you to do, since you're not going to do that, is all the baby boys, throw them into the Nile. Kill them. That's the context that Moses is born. That's why he was born in a shroud of conflict, and his mother, Jochebed, had to be secret about his birth. Look at verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3 of Exodus. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his sister, that's Miriam, stood at a distance to find out what would happen. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile while her maidens walked along the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her maid and she brought it to her. And she opened it up. She saw the child and behold, the boy was crying and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called, who'd she call? Jochebed, the child's mother. So we see God orchestrating an amazing thing where Moses comes into the house of Pharaoh, but he's raised by his own mother, Jochebed. And she's able to pass on the things of God and the Hebrew faith to him in the house of Pharaoh. You know how amazing that is. And so, take a step back for a minute. I want you to imagine with me. Imagine you're a young mom. And you have a three-month-old baby. And you are, decide that what you're going to do is to send this little guy on, on a cruise. And uh, so, you make this little homemade boat. And you get some roofing tar. And you kind of you know, slap some. You, make, you waterproof this little boat. And so, you go down to the Brazos River. And you push it off. And you say, hey, have a nice life. Would any of you do that? No, we'd be calling, we'd be calling CPS if uh, you did that. It's not, but Jochebed did that. Why did she do that? This is just my own interpretation. I believe Jochebed had heard from the Lord, and God instructed her to do this, much like God instructed Abraham to offer up Isaac. God instructed her to do this, and she was acting in faith. And I believe she strategically placed Moses in the current, and knowing where the palace was on down, and God could have done this a lot of ways, but 
God allowed this basket to float down and just so happened to be at the timing when Pharaoh's daughter was down bathing. She sees him and you know the rest of the story. But I believe Jochebed demonstrates a tremendous faith and a dependency on the Lord by her actions. We also know she raised um, Aaron who would go on and tag team with Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Miriam was a godly woman. So here we see the example of Jochebed, a godly woman, demonstrating faith. And all I wanted to say is, we go on and we see all that Moses did. What a man, you know, he parted the Red Sea and God gave him the Ten Commandments. And you know all about Moses. But if there's no Jochebed, there's no Moses. Moms don't underestimate what God can do with that little boy or little girl that's in your home. Or someday, that little boy or that little girl that God may bless you with. God may change the world through them. Look at the potential for what God can do in their lives. Proverbs 14.1, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Moms, I want to exhort you, and dads too, but this is Mother's Day. Moms, this is your time to build up your house. Build up your house by walking with the Lord, by reading His Word, by seeking to honor Him, by placing Christ first in your home. Build up your house. The foolish woman tears it down with her own house. Wisdom is build up your house. Build up your house. Pour into your children. Love your husband well. Next, I'd like to look at the mother of Samuel. This one's a little bit easier. Anybody know who the mother of Samuel, what her name is? Did I hear Hannah? Hannah. Hannah. And what I'd like for you to do is look at 1 Samuel 1 with me. We're going to look at the life of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, a number of years have gone by in the uh, history of Israel. And Israel is really at a dark place. We go through the cycle of the judges and, and, the, and, and Israel is uh, pleading for a king. Uh, there's a lot of wickedness. There's idol worship in the nation of Israel. The primary priest or prophet, Eli, has an ungodly household. His boys are out of control. And so God decides he's going to do something about that. And he's going to do it through a very unlikely source, through this particular family. There's a young woman named Hannah. And year after year, she, try, she and her husband try to have a child. She's an example of the struggle and, and the pain that infertility can, can have on a woman. Now, as hard as that is in our culture, it's tenfold or a hundredfold in their culture because of the lineage that's passed down uh, and, and the role of a mother to bear a child. It's a huge thing that Hannah cannot have a child. And so she's pleading with the Lord. And so she's praying to the Lord. And year after year, as they would make pilgrimages, she would go to the temple and she would petition to the Lord and she would plead with Him. Well, on one particular year, she was praying so fervently in verse 13 of chapter 1. She was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving. Her voice was not heard. And so Eli, he's the prophet, he thinks she's drunk. Eli said to her, along, will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider, and make a long story short, what happens for the sake of time will go on down is that God 
hears her prayer, and he blesses her. And Hannah is able to conceive. And as a result of God moving her heart, and she realizes that this child is a blessing from the Lord, she dedicates this child to the Lord, and she gives him to the Lord for his service. What that meant was that as a young boy, her son, Samuel, he went to serve in the temple. And he served under Eli. Well, Samuel has a dream. And God comes and speaks to him very directly. And he says, I'm going to judge Eli and his household. And Samuel didn't want to tell Eli. Eli kept pressing him. He finally tells him. And, and uh, that's what ends up happening. God does judge Eli's household because of their wickedness. And Samuel becomes the priest and the prophet and the oracle, the mouth of God for the nation of Israel. And God uses this man very powerfully. He's the man that God used to uh, identify Saul and David as king. And God used him in an amazing way in the history of Israel. And all I want to say here again, as much as we see God using Samuel, if there's no Hannah, and no Hannah trusting God, and no Hannah praying for God to give her a child, we don't have a Samuel. How about the mother of John the Baptist? To find the mother of John the Baptist, we need to, go to travel to Luke chapter 1. Anybody know the name of the mother of John the Baptist? Who is that? Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her name. Elizabeth was married to a priest, Zacharias. And she and Zacharias were also struggling to have a child. The issue is a little differently in that they've been trying for longer. So they're old. I mean, they're... they're past the age of being able to bear a child. Zacharias is in the temple, and it's his turn to offer sacrifices, and he's before the Lord, and it's a holy moment, and he's in, in the holy place offering a sacrifice for the nation of Israel, making atonement for, for their sins. And all of a sudden, who appears to him? Gabriel, the angel. And Gabriel tells Zacharias that you are going to have a son through Elizabeth. And your son is to be named John. And John is to be the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So he's blown away. He comes out. He's speechless. He literally cannot talk. He's got to write down what happened. And we go on and we see that Elizabeth actually does conceive. And she goes to see her relative. Many think it's her cousin Mary, who Mary, the mother of Jesus, has conceived at this time. And when Mary spoke to Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, is going to announce Christ's coming. He starts announcing Christ's coming even before he's born. He leaps in her womb. And, he's, and that's a, a, a testimony of, of, of foreshadowing what would come. And we see Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. We see God using this woman in a, in a powerful way as she trusted God and was filled with the Spirit. And she raised John the Baptist up, who would be the forerunner and would announce, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you, we look at John the Baptist and we look at his life and we look how he, how he prepared for Christ's coming. But if there's no Elizabeth... There's no John the Baptist. And God used this, this godly woman, this mother, to raise him up and to train him. Any of y'all uh, struggle with what your kids wear? You know, the clothes they wear? It's just kind of a little aside here. I wonder what Elizabeth thought with John running around in a 
cloak of camel's hair, you know? That must have been kind of interesting. Sometimes we need to choose our battles, don't we? But uh, here he was eating camel's hair, and uh, his nutrition was a little interesting, too. He is on a diet of uh, locusts and wild honey. And so, uh, but seriously, the reason was he'd taken a Nazarite vow, and Elizabeth had set him apart, and he did this for simplicity and to live a, a life really set apart for God. So here we have Elizabeth and her example of, of pouring into her son, John, known as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. Now we look at the mother of Jesus. Okay, this gets a little easier. Hopefully you know who that is. Who's the mother of Jesus? Mary. Now we see all through the Gospels her life. We see what she has done. But recognize that when she conceived you know, this was scandalous. You know why? When she conceived, she was betrothed to Joseph, but they had not yet been married. And it's like our engagement process, only a much more serious, formal thing, where they had gone through a betrothal process, and they were not to yet have relations with each other until the wedding night. And so all of a sudden, Joseph finds out that the person he's engaged to or betrothed to is going to have a baby. So he's about to kick her out, call this whole thing off. But an angel comes to him and speaks to him and says, tells him that this was a divine act of God, that the Holy Spirit had come upon Mary, and that she had conceived not through the seed of man, but through God. And that's why Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, because he's born of a woman, but the Holy Spirit allowed Mary to conceive. And so Joseph says, okay, now I get it. And so he goes on and they, they have Jesus. You know the story. That's Christmas. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. And she goes on to raise this young man up. Now, interesting aside on that. What would it have been like to have a perfect child? Did Jesus ever sin? That must have been quite interesting. Uh, you know, you're, you're in your little playgroup here and all the other kids are going through their terrible twos. And your kid, he doesn't sin. He's perfect. You know, he never slugs his brother, and he grows up. I mean, that must have been really an interesting thing for Mary. But we talked earlier about Jesus and the Great Commission, and he's talking about go and make disciples. Where did he learn this? Certainly God could have inspired him, and Jesus is God, to say those things. But where did Jesus learn about spiritual multiplication and his exhortation to the disciples about go and make disciples? I want to submit to you that Jesus learned about discipleship and learned about the things of God in his home. Because Joseph and Mary were God-fearing Jews, and they were participating in not only going to the temple, but I believe they applied this exhortation to them, and it's an exhortation to us as parents, to live their faith out in the home. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them, parents, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What's this passage saying? It's saying, parents, yeah, take your kids to church. It's important that we're a part of the body of Christ, and it's important that we teach. They're, they're in an environment where they can learn Scripture and learn the Bible stories. That's, that's really important. But that's not the primary place where faith transfer should take place. 
It should be in the home with moms and dads pouring into their children. Our children are our primary disciples. And that's what this passage is saying. Just way of life. Talk to them about the things of God. Let them see you reading God's word. Let them see you as a mom and dad praying together and praying as a family and having family devotions. Let them see your model because they're going to follow what you do. Remember those stats again about age 13, the concrete set. So we got a window of opportunity to pour into our children and teach them about the things of God so that then they will become like Christ and pass on to the next generation the things that they have learned from us. Parents, moms, dads, we have an incredible responsibility and opportunity to raise up the next generation of leaders with our children. Last example I'd like to look at is the mother of Timothy. And to look at the mother of Timothy, we need to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Anybody know the mother of Timothy? What's her name? Mother of Timothy is Eunice. Sometimes I get these confused and I think of Lois. Lois is actually her grandmother. And here we see an example of multi-generational faith transfer. And it's a great example of the impact that Lois and Eunice have on Timothy as a young man, as a young boy. You know, our tendency as we think about discipleship is to jump to 2 Timothy 2. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read about Paul writing his last will of testament. This is the last book that he wrote to his faithful disciple who he was going to appoint in a key position of leadership to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And we tend to look at this and we think about the influence Paul had. And he says, you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we see that faith transfer from Paul to Timothy to others, that model of discipleship, that strategy of intentionally uh, making disciples, spiritual multiplication. We tend to think of Paul when we think of that, right? The one who had an impact on Timothy. He certainly did, and I don't want to underestimate at all what Paul did with Timothy. But I want to point out that it started earlier, and it wasn't just Paul. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writing to his disciple Timothy. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Look over at chapter 3, verse 15. Paul also writing to Timothy here. And he's saying in in verse 14, to continue on the things you've learned and become convinced of. Continue on. Be faithful, Timothy. Finish well. Pass on these things. But he reminds him in verse 15, and that from childhood, Timothy, you, singular in the Greek, you, Timothy, have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so we see the value of God's Word. Where did Timothy learn the sacred writings, the teachings of God's Word? Paul, certainly, I'm sure they spent some time in the Word in their discipleship process. He learned it first in the home. He learned it from Lois. And Eunice, 
and look at the influence that they have in Timothy's life and how God would use this man to go on and lead the church in Ephesus. Abraham Lincoln writes, No man is poor who has a godly mother. Mothers, today we want to honor you. And we especially want to honor you in your role of passing on your faith to the next generation, to your children. No man is poor who has a godly mother. Applications. As we wrap up here, mothers, and we encourage all of us here, but this is Mother's Day. I'm talking to you mothers. I want to encourage you to grow in your own spiritual life. As I mentioned, we can't pass on what we don't possess ourselves. And so mothers, spend time with the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. And dads, we need to help moms, especially the young kids, we need to help them find that time. Because they're so busy and they're so spent and sometimes so tired that we need to really make sure in our wives' week they have time to be alone and be still before the Lord and to grow spiritually. I want to encourage, uh, or Proverbs 31.30 addresses this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Hey, it's great how you look. That's awesome. But even deeper, and what really matters to God is that you fear the Lord. Personal growth. Second, get connected, ladies. We want to encourage you moms to get connected, to find a place where you can grow and be equipped as a mother. We actually have a ministry here. It's called Mom to Mom. It's a mentoring ministry. Now, this has taken a break for the summer, but this fall you'll be seeing some sign-up opportunities. And what this is, uh, Carolyn Jones, our uh, director of women's ministries, has come up with a a term. I like this term. We don't talk about older women. We talk about seasoned women. It's an opportunity for seasoned women to pass on to some younger women some things they've learned. It's a biblical model to teach them to to love the Lord and to find a place where you can connect because you need that. And moms, especially those young kids, you're so busy. You're, you're the taxi driver. You're the nurse at home. You're, you're this, you're that. You need a place where you can connect with some other moms that are in a similar stage of life. And we also have this with our young families, Adult Bible Fellowship. We have this in home churches and other uh, places in our church. But find some other moms where you can just be real with and you can know that they understand your world and they can connect with you. A lot of times, I, I just don't understand. I'll come home and I, I just don't get it, what Susan's been going through. And, and she needs other women in her life to encourage her in that way. Third, application. Moms, value your role. Value your role. You know, we get a lot of signals from our culture today that as a, a woman, we need to find value outside of the home. And I'm not saying you can't find it there. I'm just saying don't take away from what God says in his word about the priority he places on being a wife and a mother. That is such a high calling you have. God values your role. Again, you only have one shot at these little ones. One shot. Proverbs 31, her children rise up and bless her. And moms, don't you want your kids to... Rise up and, and, and bless you. Isn't that one of the best things you can do with your life? You know, as a dad, I feel like I can blow it in a lot of areas, but I don't want to blow it with my kids. 
I don't want to fail with my kids. Her children rise up and bless her. Her children also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you're the best. You excel them all. And there's a lesson there for us husbands in that we need to encourage our wives and to compliment them and to recognize the things they're doing that really matters. They invest in our children. Fourth, raise up next generation leaders. This is faith transfer in the home. This is sharing the gospel with your children. This is viewing them as your primary disciple. We have examples of this, as we've talked about. If we don't have Jochebed, we don't have Moses. If we don't have Hannah, we don't have Samuel. If we don't have Elizabeth, we don't have John the Baptist. If we don't have Mary, we don't have Jesus. If we don't have Eunice, we don't have Timothy. And if we don't have you, moms, fulfilling your role as a mother, we don't pass on our faith to the next generation. I'd like to give you a great example of this. Many of you know Dan and Lori Martin. They attend Southwood. Dan's a deacon here at Grace. Uh, they're Grace members. They've been here several years. The lady in the middle in the turquoise is Dan's grandmother. This is Annie Maud. Annie Maud just passed away in March. She would have been 101 in April. Annie Maud leaves behind nine children who are all married to their original spouses. Six of those nine have celebrated their 50th anniversary, and the rest of them are just a few years ahead, and all nine will have celebrated 50 years of marriage. Annie Maud leaves behind nine children who are all still married to their original spouse, 45 grandchildren, and almost 100 great-grandchildren. Is that an amazing story? Now that's multiplication. Yeah. Okay. We're impressed with those numbers, but she also left behind a spiritual legacy. At her funeral, what was said about her was that she lived out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. She was a godly woman who passed a legacy down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Life affords no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than raising than the raising of the next generation. See Everett Koop. Last, all of us, let's honor our mothers today. Let's give them a call. Let's send them flowers. That's, that's great. And dads, let's help our little ones do this. You know, scribble some little notes. Or let's take, for I know my wife, she said, I'm not cooking today. Okay, that's, that's mine. And I said, okay, honey. So um, honor our mothers, not only today, but throughout the year. And this morning as we close, moms, we'd like for you to stand. Moms, grandmothers, stand. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity we have to celebrate motherhood. We thank you for our moms, and we pray, Lord, that they will experience honor and respect today. They deserve it. We pray, Father, that as a church body, 
that we will continue to honor the role of parents and, and to equip moms and dads to be uh, live out their faith in their homes. And we just pray for our next generation that these children would grow up to love you and serve you. We pray for our college students as they're about to leave for the summer, Lord, that you would protect them, keep them holy, that they would uh, know you and make you known, and you would use them powerfully. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather as the body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.